1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. The Apostle Paul says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of any of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I will have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching, that I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself, not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And you can be seated. Okay, so my goal is to get through this whole chapter in one shot, because Paul is making one long sustained argument that I think is going to be helpful to listen to from beginning to end. Um, so that's, that's kind of where we're going. That's, that's what we're going to try to get accomplished today. Before we get there, one of the things I want to say that he touches on here 
is that one of the great truths of the gospel is that through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have freedom. We have freedom. I think we often take this freedom for granted. But before we were believers in Jesus, there was only suffocating bondage of all kinds. But now through faith in Jesus, we have freedom. We have freedom from sin. Jesus says in John 8, truly, truly, I say to you that everyone who practices sin is what? They're a slave to sin. But Jesus has come to set us free. And he says, if the son sets you free, you're free indeed. So in Jesus, we have freedom from our sin. We're no longer defined by our sin. Our sin no longer has power over us, no longer has authority over us. People, other people can't define us by our sin. We're not mastered by it. No, Jesus has set us free. Jesus has also set us free from all the legal requirements of the Old Covenant. Remember in the Old Covenant, there were like 613 commandments that, that all the people of Israel had to obey. Well, in Galatians 5.1, we read, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't go back to that Old Covenant law. Don't go submit yourself again to that. Why would you do that? Christ has set you free from those things. We've been freed from all of that. In fact, it wasn't just the 613 laws, but the Jews kind of added their own laws on top of that. So just to make sure that you were obeying the laws, they added more laws and more laws and more laws. And there were thousands and thousands of laws and thousands of interpretations of those laws of what you could do and could not do. And it was just oppressive. And and Paul says, don't submit again to that slavery in the, in the late 1700s, it's kind of interesting. Different states were on different pages with the issue of slavery. Some states still allowed it. Some states outlawed it. But even those states that had outlawed it said that if the slave had run into their state, you could go retrieve yourself. It was just nuts. And, and even many slaves didn't know how to, how to deal with this. And a lot of them would run away and they'd be like, well, you know, it's not so bad going back to the master. And so they go back to the master and you're like, what are you doing? You're, you're free. Why would you go back to this yoke of slavery? Well, actually, that's what Christians do many times. We will often go back to a yoke of slavery, either the yoke of slavery of our sin or the yoke of slavery to the law. And what we have to understand is that we have freedom in Christ. We have freedom from sin. We have freedom from the law. We're not antinomian, meaning we, it's not like we go, oh, we, all, we can just do whatever we want. No, we are under the law of Christ, as Paul says here, where the external law is actually written on our heart. We desire to please Jesus through obedience, but we are the freest people there are. And it's with that understanding, we have to come to this passage, because Paul is going to talk about the freedom that we have in Christ. He's going to actually talk about the rights that we have in Christ. We have freedom. We have, we have rights. But here's the amazing thing that he's going he's gonna to put before us. In the gospel... We often give up our freedoms for the sake of our brothers. We often give up our rights for the sake of our brothers. Christ has freed us from all these things, but there are times where for the good of the gospel, for the, the encouragement of our brothers, for the sake of preaching the gospel, we actually give those things up. Remember from last week, the Corinthians were claiming, oh, well, we can go down to the pagan meat market and we can eat down there because we have rights. We got all this freedom. There's only one God, right? And so there, there's really nothing at that pagan meat market. And later on, Paul will say, no, that's idolatry, actually. You can't go to the pagan meat market. But the first thing that he starts talking about is you got to stop treating your brothers this way. 
You can't just run over them with your so-called rights. You need to learn to give up your rights to serve your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. That's kind of where he was at in, in chapter 8. So they can't just go do whatever they want to do. They were so self-centered that they didn't realize that their actions were causing their brothers to stumble and fall back into idolatry. And so Paul says, you want to talk about rights? You want to talk about freedoms in the Lord? Let me tell you about my rights and my freedoms as an apostle. And you guys, you Corinthians, should know more than anybody that not only do I have these rights, but I gave them up for you. And in fact, your very faith is there because God used me to preach to you without using any of my rights. Your very church exists because the Apostle Paul decided he would give up these rights. Now, the primary right that Paul has in mind in chapter 9, I don't know if you caught that, is, is the right of an apostle or really any minister to be paid. To some extent, this is called a, a pay your preacher section. You guys pay me, you do fine, so thank you. That's great. It's not what I'm here for. Um, but what we're going to see is that for the sake of the gospel, there are times when that right is given up. That freedom to, to enjoy an income is, is given up, and we'll look at that a little bit more in a little bit. But the big takeaway that I want you guys to understand from this morning, when, when you're talking about this on Tuesday or, or whenever, is that if you want to do great things for the Lord, you need to learn to give up your rights. If you want to do amazing things for the Lord and for the gospel, you need to learn to give up your rights. That's the way that you hear, well done, good and faithful servant, and see fruit in investing in other people's lives, and see fruit from preaching the gospel, is through sacrificing your rights for other people so that God can work through you without some sort of hindrance. And actually, the more you're willing to give up for the gospel, the greater God is able to use you for his glory. But if your whole, if your whole paradigm is being in Christ, I can do whatever I want, that's fine. You probably won't have much fruit in the gospel. It's those who give up their rights. And so what I want to do is I just want to walk through this passage this morning and sort of put Paul's whole argument together. So what he starts off with is actually his authority in the Corinthian church. He starts off with the, the Corinthian church should understand and recognize that he is, in fact, an apostle and he has all this authority. So look at verses 1 and 2 again. He says, am I not free? Actually, go back one verse to chapter 8, verse 13. He says, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. So he's willing to give up this right to eat meat. Verse 1 of chapter 9. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. And so what Paul is doing here is he is establishing his authority in the Corinthian church. As an authority, he has rights. He has the ability to do things. And I don't know if you, you caught this on our, on our read-through, but actually most of the questions he asks in the first half of the chapter are rhetorical questions. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to get them to acknowledge, sort of out loud or in their mind, the things that they already know. They know these things. He's kind of reminding them. He's doing this as a little bit of a rhetorical flair so that, so that they are reminded of, of these things. But he asks, am I not free? 
And in, in English, when we ask a rhetorical question, the question is sort of, or the answer is sort of implied. Actually, in the Greek, how you construct that question, it's explicit, the answer that he's looking for. Am I not free? In the Greek, the, the answer would be, well, yeah, of course I am. That's, it's, it's signaled that, yeah, of course he's free. He's free from the law. He's not bound to the old covenant in any way. He doesn't need to submit to any food laws, any drink laws, any feast laws, or any other laws. He has freedom in Christ that all Christians have. We are freed from the old covenant restraints. We don't have to keep any of those. But he especially claims this freedom because he is an apostle. He says, am I not an apostle? And again, the rhetorical answer requires, yes, I am. Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? The rhetorical question requires, yes, that he has. He has seen those things. The word apostle means somebody who is sent out on a mission. And the church kind of grabbed that for those initial leaders um, who were sent by Jesus specifically, who had seen him raised from the dead, who were gifted in miraculous works and were sent out to preach the gospel. And he had seen Jesus. He is an apostle. They know those things. That qualification we see in verse 1, have I not seen Jesus our Lord, is something that the book of Acts actually recounts three times. Paul's conversion story, where, remember, he was on the road to Damascus, actually to go put Christians in prison. He had letters to go put Christians in prison. And then Jesus appears to him in this bright, blinding light. And, and that's his, that's his seeing of Jesus there on the Damascus road. And so, yes, he's seen Jesus. It was famous. Everybody knew that Paul had seen Jesus. And they should know that. If anybody could, could testify to the apostleship of Paul, it would have been the Corinthian church. How do they know? Well, because everybody sitting in the Corinthian church had come to faith under Paul's ministry. They knew he was legit because they had been converted. That's how they knew. That's why he says, if to others I am not an apostle. There were other people who had maybe contested that he was an apostle. He says, if to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you guys. I came and I preached to you the gospel. You saw the miracles. You saw the conversions. You saw the work that God did through my ministry. Certainly I'm an apostle to you because you guys are my seal as an apostle. You're my stamp of approval. The fact that you're even in the faith. The Corinthians knew all that. They knew that he had been sent by God. They also, by the way, knew that as an apostle he had rights. They knew that he could require some things. That's what he's getting at in verses 3 through 7. So he establishes, look, you guys know I'm an authority, and you know that that authority comes with rights. Well, what are those rights? Verse 3, this is my defense to those who would examine me. Maybe there were people in the church who, who didn't like Paul, and they wanted to question him about some things. Verse 4, he says, do we not have the right to eat and drink? And again, the, the answer should be Yes. Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Again, it's yes. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Now, it's interesting. He's going to make a pretty brilliant argument through this whole thing. He's going to weave some things through. But the, the two rights that he really touches on uh, more than anything are the right to eat and drink, which means he's no longer under the law, and the right to, to actually receive an income 
for his ministry. Those are really the, the, the two things. He spends a little bit more time on the right to be paid. And, and the point is that he's actually making is he gave up his paycheck to go preach to the Corinthians. He gave up his income to, so that they could have the gospel. And the reason that he did that, and we'll see this a little bit more later too, the reason that he did that was so that they could never claim, oh, well, you're just out here preaching for a paycheck. That's what you're doing. You just, you just want to get paid, so you're doing this. And so he goes, all right, well, if anyone would ever accuse me of that, let me tell you, I'm just not taking a paycheck. I'm just preaching the gospel because I love you. And so that put that to rest, and that's part of why he did that. So he hits them with all of these rhetorical questions. We saw in verse 4, the rhetorical question, do I not have the right to eat and drink? And the idea is, yes, he did. He did have the right to eat and drink. He could eat whatever he want, bacon, pork chops, whatever, eagle, owl. Like, those are all forbidden in the law. Paul says, I can eat all those things. That's not a problem. But what did he say at the end of chapter 8? If it causes his brother to stumble, he will never eat meat again. He has the right to go do this, but he doesn't want his brother to stumble, so he's willing to give up that right in order to sanctify his brother. He's willing to give up his rights for the good of the church. And then he turns quickly to another right, maybe a more important right for a missionary especially, and that's the right to be financially supported in their ministry. He says in verse 5 that he has the right to take along a believing wife. Apparently neither Paul nor Barnabas were married, but the other apostles were. And not only could they expect to be financially supported, they could be expected to be financially supported enough to take along their family as well. And this is an enduring principle. For those who are missionaries, when we send a missionary out, we, we should send them out knowing that their family should go with them. We want them to go with them. That's part of God's design that's god's expectation is that their whole family is supported and he makes that argument and he makes that argument partly by just looking at other professions don't you know that this happens in other professions verse seven who serves as a soldier at his own expense nobody goes into war going nah that's all right i'll do it out of the good of my own heart well george washington actually did that he served at his own expense but he's like the only one like everybody else gets paid. Why would you go into war and risk your life and limb and not get paid for it? Why, why would you do that? You wouldn't do that. Who plants a vineyard without eating of its fruit? So you got a vineyard. You got a nice little spread of, of grapes. And, and why, would you, why would you give those grapes away or make wine and, and sell the wine and never even partake of your own thing? Everybody assumes that the, the person, the vine dresser, is actually partaking of the wine. Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? The shepherd would get some of the milk. That's just what you do. This is just common sense. And it's not just common sense. It's also what the Old Testament commanded. And he moves from sort of this common sense, like this. look at the world. This is how the world takes care of its people that labor. But look at how the Old Testament takes care of those who labor. Verse 8, he says, Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. 
Now, I have to tell you, this is a very interesting verse that he, that he cite, cites here in verse 9. You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. It's uh, Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 24, or verse 4. You don't have to turn there. <clears throat> but it's interesting. It's this sort of random verse. And, and it's verse 4. So the first three verses are about how many times can you beat a guilty person? How many times can you whip them? And there's laws on that. It's 40 times. Can't whip them more than 40. And right after that is a passage on if, if you've got a married couple and the guy dies, then it's incumbent on his younger brothers to go and marry the widow and take care of her. If he doesn't do that, she gets to take the younger brother's sandal in front of the town elders and spit in his face. And in the middle of all that is don't muzzle your ox while he's treading out the grain. It's just, it's just random. And it appears that actually what was going on was that, that this is a classic, what's called an argument from the lesser to the greater. And that God put this in here to kill like, sort of like two birds with one stone. On the one hand, God is actually concerned about cattle. I don't know if you know that, but he's actually concerned about cattle. The very last book or the very last verse in the book of Jonah, part of the reason God did not want to destroy Nineveh was because there was much cattle in the city. He actually cared about the cattle. There's a lot of laws in the old covenant about cattle. But what the, what the Jews realized was it's not just for cattle that God is concerned. And it's not primarily even cattle that God is concerned. What God is getting at here is a bigger principle of the one who works should get fed by their labor. That's the idea. And so that's why he says here in verse um, verse 10, does he not certainly speak for our sake? Some of your translations say, doesn't he speak entirely for our sake? And I think that's going a little too far. I don't think he's, he's speaking entirely about ministers getting paid or whatever. I, I think he's, he's bringing in both principles. But he's certainly talking about ministry and, and getting paid. Paul says this verse isn't primarily about oxen. They had recognized the difference. But that's what God had in mind when he wrote the law. Now, he makes this connection very clear in the next couple of verses. Look at verses 11 and 12. He says, if we have sown spiritual things among you, if we preach the gospel, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share in this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? And again, this is actually from a great, greater to a lesser. Paul went and he proclaimed the gospel. That's the greatest thing anybody could ever hear. And he went out and he sowed that. He sowed the gospel. The gospel's up here. He goes, we sowed spiritual things. Isn't it enough? Like, like you could give us a little bit of food? Couldn't you support us just a little bit? Like, like actually, that's what you do to other people. Couldn't you support us, the apostles, a little as well? That's, that's what he's getting at. He was their founding pastor. They owe their eternal life to Jesus, but they heard the, about Jesus from Paul. That's the only way they have eternal life. And he's saying, I sacrifice my life and limb to give you the message of eternal life. Is it too much for me to ask for a little bit of money from you? You're, su you're supporting some of your other leaders. Can't you support me? And, of course, the answer is yes. It's right for him to have a reasonable expectation of support. And, actually, we see that even in the Old Testament sacrificial system. Look at the last half of verse 12. He has that right, and he says, Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, 
But we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So in the Old Testament, the Israelites would come to the, to the tabernacle or the temple, wherever you are at in history, and they'd bring their goat or their sheep or their ox or whatever, and they'd, and they'd offer it as a sacrifice. Well, not all of it would be burnt up. Some of the stuff they'd actually carry out and, and, and burn up elsewhere. Some of it would be on the altar. And the rest of it they would carve up and the priests would get. And sometimes the, the offerer would get some of that too. And that's actually how the priests were fed was through the offerings. And he goes, don't you know that, that even in the Old Testament, this is how it worked? Like, this is, this is how God supported the ministers of the gospel back then. They literally partook the sacrifices that the Israelites brought to the temple. They fed on the offerings to God. Now, think about this. Just a little side note here. Remember in chapters 8 through 10, what's the issue? You can't go to an idol temple and eat the meat there. Why? Because what are you doing? You're partaking in the worship there. The Corinthians were thinking, oh, no, this is fine. We're not partaking in any worship. He's like, just read your Old Testament, man. Like when you're eating at the temple, you're partaking in worship. So this is where this whole argument actually gets really cool. Like he's weaving in all of these things. He goes, that's true in the Old Testament. That's true now when you wander down to the pagan temple and wrongly eat of those sacrifices. He's like killing three birds with one stone right here. Like, it's actually pretty amazing what he's weaving together. Okay, even the pagans know that you pay your preacher. The true God had a system in, in the temple as well. But again, what did Paul do according to this passage, specifically in chapter or in verse 12 and 15? He says, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. Verse 15, but I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for, for boasting. So again, this is classic pay your preacher passage. The Lord has designed those who give their lives to ministry to receive payment. This is actually a command from God. This is right. But notice, Paul willingly gives up that right. He gives it up. He says, I, I don't make any use of this. He could have told the Corinthians to pay him, and he would have been right to do so, but he didn't. Well, so how did Paul live? We'll look back at Acts 18 for just a second. Acts chapter 18. This is when Paul was in Corinth. You remember what Paul's occupation was? He was a tent maker. He literally made tents. That was his job. So Acts 18, verse 1. So after this, Paul left Athens, and he went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade the Jews. 
And this is where we get that, that phrase now, a tent maker. Uh, a missionary who is a tent maker is somebody who goes and they have a job where they're at and they also preach the gospel. The same thing is true with pastors who are tent makers. They're bivocational pastors. Bi meaning to, vocation meaning job. Most of, most of the pastors around the world and missionaries around the world are probably bivocational. They have a, uh, they have a regular job where they have an income and they, they pastor in a small church and so they supplement their income through another job. Paul was a tent maker. Most, most tents were made of leather back then and so he was a leather maker. But this is how he supported himself when he was in Corinth. In fact, look over at 1 Thessalonians really quick. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. This was sort of Paul's, Paul's MO whenever he went to any city. He would often have support from other sending churches to go and preach the gospel. But when he got to the city, he would very rarely ever accept any money from them. Again, because he didn't want to be accused of taking money just for money's sake. He never wanted to be accused of that. So look at, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and look down in verse 9. He says, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Same thing. He had a job. When he was at Thessalonica, he had a job. He was working. He was toiling alongside preaching the gospel because he didn't want to be a burden. He didn't want these new believers to think somehow he he had come in to try and just just take their money. He never wanted to be accused of, of just being a preacher for hire. In fact, back in... Back in those days, they had people who would come around and they'd give great speeches. You know how like we have stand-up comedians now? People pay money to go see their favorite stand-up comedian and it's fun, that sort of thing. Well, in Roman times, they were more sophisticated than we are. They had orators. It's like, oh, let's go down and see the great Horatio. Like, let's pay money to go see him talk at us for an hour. And so they would go down there. Well, he didn't want to be lumped into that same category. He didn't want to be just some sort of traveling guy who gave speeches to wow the crowds with their rhetoric. He never wanted that. And so he was willing to forgo the money and just preach the gospel so that they knew it was out of the sincerity of his heart that he was preaching the gospel to him. That's what we see back in chapter 9. So look back in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So that's the point he's made. He's, he is an apostle. He does have authority. Common sense gives him the authority to collect this. The law gives him authority to collect this. Jesus gives him the, the authority to collect this. These are his rights. And you know what he does with his rights? He gives them all up. He gives them all up so that he can preach the gospel in purity. That's what he wants. Actually, everywhere he goes, he gives up all kinds of rights so that people can hear the gospel. Look at verse 15 again. He says, but I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. He's, I'm not writing you guys to get a paycheck. For I would rather die than have someone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. He's like, I've got to preach the gospel because Jesus told me to. Necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I'm still entrusted with the stewardship. So whether I want to or not, I got to do it because Jesus told me to go do it and I want to go preach it. And I'm not doing it for money. I'm doing it for the rewards. Verse 18, what then is my reward? 
that in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. He never wants to be accused of being a, a preacher for hire. Never. So he gives up that right. He gives up all of his rights. In fact, look at all the rights that he gives up. He's willing to do whatever it takes to get people the gospel message. Verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. And what he means by that is that they may come to faith in Jesus. That's his whole goal. Verse 20. To the Jews I became as a Jew. I lived like a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. He was a rabbi. He knew the deal. He knew all the 613 laws and he knew the other thousands surrounding it and he lived under it. Why? So that he could go into the synagogues and he could talk to the Jewish people and he could preach the gospel to them. He's like, I'll, I'll, I'll endure any law you want me to endure so that people can hear the gospel of Jesus. What about the Gentiles? Verse 21, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside of the law. Bacon, pork, beer, wine, we're going to drink. Why? So they can hear the gospel. So they can hear the saving truth of Jesus Christ. Verse 22, to the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I had become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. All of this liberty that he had in Jesus, all of the freedom that he had in Jesus, all of the rights he had in Jesus, you know what he was willing to do? Give them all up so that people could hear the gospel and hear and be saved. And he says at the end, verse 24, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be, should not be disqualified. What's his point here? He says, when you look at athletes, the greatest athletes, the greatest ones give up the most rights. They give up everything. Most of you guys know who Michael Phelps is, the Olympic swimmer from a couple years ago. I think he's retired now. You realize he had the right to sleep in every morning, right? He had the right to eat junk food. He had the right to skip practices or not even show up to practices, he had those rights. He, he had the right to go and have a career and be famous elsewhere, rich elsewhere. But if he had claimed those rights, do you think he would have had the dozens of gold medals that he has now? No, he gave up all of those rights. And the more he gave up, the more he accomplished. And that's the point that Paul's making here. The more rights we're willing to give up as believers in Christ, and they are our rights. We have freedom to exercise those rights. But... The more we're willing to give up those rights, the more work we're going to do for the gospel. The more eternal good that we're going to do. I love reading biographies of people. 
And usually if you're reading their biography, it's because they're famous for something. And most of them don't sit around and claim their rights. Most of them give up a lot to further whatever cause they're doing, to achieve excellence and great things. In fact, there's not a lot of biographies about well-rounded people. They're all just a little bit crazy in what they're willing to give up and what they're willing to do for, for the common good. And Paul basically says the same thing. You want to do great things for the gospel? You want to do amazing things for the gospel? You're going to need to give up your rights. You're going to need to give up your freedoms. For your brother sitting right next to you who maybe his conscience is weak and his struggles. You're also going to need to give up your rights and your freedoms for the unbeliever that you don't even like. You're going to have to give up your rights. Why? So that you might have an audience to preach the gospel to him. You want to hear well done, good and faithful servant? You want to see that prize, that imperishable wreath on the last day? You know what we do? We give up our rights. Jesus gave up his rights for us. He gave up every right of heaven to come and suffer for us. And you know what we do for the brothers? We do the same thing to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the freedom that you've given us in Christ. We thank you for the rights that we have. And Lord, we pray that we would not cling to them as though this is what life is all about. But we pray that our hearts would be quick to give up these rights, that the gospel would go forward. Would you please give us a heart to do that and give us a heart to be faithful to preach that gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.